Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as ever by Mo Stewart. Mo, how's your week been, mate? It's all right, actually. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, my overriding emotion is still the warm afterglow of a precious, precious win yesterday. But um, yeah, doing good. Feeling good. Looking forward to this. Yeah, same for me, really. Um still feels very fresh it always does feel like that way when you when you're in the stadium i think um and it was a it was an important win we needed to win obviously uh liverpool managed to get a 2-0 victory over wolves i think it's quite interesting actually that we've now played wolves four times in all competitions this season and it's now nil nil i think on aggregate <laughs> uh, which doesn't bode well considering wolves are like fighting for relegation this season or something but i think that was quite an interesting one um, but at the same time, though, we played them four times and we only lost one. So Yeah, that's true, yeah. I think it was a 3-0 defeat, wasn't it? Or that was a yeah. quite a bad one, that year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back to winning ways ahead of a, a big game this weekend. So we are going to speak about both of those matches and we're going to speak about a little bit of a few transfer rumours, I suppose, surrounding Liverpool. Uh, but we'll start with Wolves. Um, I don't know what you made, but it felt like... Um, a game of two halves, really. The first mm. half felt really colourless and, and dull for me. Um, and at half-time, I remember <clears throat> said to the lad I was with, it, it feels like an angry, feels like a really angry cop tonight. It felt mm. like a, you know, but we, we gradually turned it round. But what, what did you think of the game overall? No, I agree with that. And it's weird because I always watched it back this morning and um, my emotions were different knowing that we'd won the game. So those moments early on in the first half where it wasn't quite clicking, I was maybe a little bit calmer about it, but you're right. It did feel, in the moment, it felt so tense. And ironically enough, that kind of febrile atmosphere, I think actually helped us when it came to the second half, particularly when the decisions go against us. It kind of allowed the crowd to be on the same side as the team rather than get at the team. And I think when we were talking about this period where confidence is still fragile and as a side, all of those things really do matter. And looking back on it a second time, I will assess the first half as kind of setting the stall out, particularly defensively. So when you look at the shape and the structure of how we were trying to build up, the way we were trying to draw them out, and so we could then pass around them. It didn't always work, but you could see what the plan was. And then in the second half, we were able to be a little bit more penetrative, and then obviously the goals came. But it was a performance that in high insight look in the moment yeah i think you're right there but i think you, you made an interesting point there when you said if it felt better watching the game knowing that we'd won afterwards i think that's an interesting show because I, I i feel the same really uh watching the game 
it did feel first half like we struggled to to move the ball forward and things like that. Struggled to really penetrate the final third. But overall, when you actually look at it, we probably created enough to maybe nick a goal. I think Harvey Elliott should have scored his header. Um, and on the defensive side of the game, we give away virtually nothing. I've just sent over uh, a link to you there, yeah. just to set, show you the the timing chart, the expected goals timeline for the match. And if you check it. Wolves, in terms of chances, they, they basically completely flatline on the 15th minute, really. Um, well, from yeah. 15 minutes onwards, I don't think they have, they have a single shot. They don't, they don't. That was the first thing I noticed when I was looking back through the stats. I think yeah. it's the 13th minute they have their final shot. And when you think about played before recently, we've kept clean sheets, but there's been a lot of peril involved. Now, to get them so they're not even taking shots, let alone shots that are having to be saved. I think Allison's made his one and only save in the third minute. And actually, if you look at the four shots on the shot chart, it's it's actually worse than that because two of the shots are basically the same shot. So there's a moment where Jimenez kind of hooks it over his shoulder towards goal. And then Sarabia looks like he misses it, but he actually just grazes his head. And that counts as two shots. Yeah. Yeah, I think overall, literally <laughs> nothing. Now, watching some of the game back again, you notice that there's a couple of times where Wolves are in position, but they mess it up. But for the most part, the reason they aren't able to get their shots off is because of what we're doing. And we haven't completely eliminated mistakes, but the structure itself works so much better that it means that each mistake isn't fatal. We're able to not add one mistake to the next one, which is where goals come from. Yeah, it, it felt very much like we, we grew into the game, really. As you can see on, on the expected goals timeline that I've sent you, initially, you know, Wolves have a chance. And um, I remember the shots actually to save that Alisson makes and things like that. It, it felt like a, a bit of a shaky start. But then, as you say, yeah, you grow into the game, you get a bit of a foothold. By half time, it could easily be like one all, maybe a leading one nil. But then from there onwards... We start to really take the game by the scruff of the neck, really, um, creating more chances and moving through the thirds a bit more. But initially in the first half, I thought one of the problems that we that we encountered was in terms of building from the back from Allison through the thirds and into the final third, I feel like we struggled on so many so many occasions when it comes to just escaping our own half, essentially. Mm. Um so I think a lot of that stemmed from, I think Wolves, to be fair to them, were, were really organised and their, their pressing approach causes issues. But I also think the, these games tend to happen when there's no Thiago and there's no Matip. Because th- those two players are really important when it comes to like Liverpool's build-up game because of the specific perks that they offer. Like Obviously, we know Thiago's like a... A build-up master when it comes to like receiving the ball in tight spaces, moving the ball forward, offering a passing option, um, dribbling past his opponents. We know his first touch when he does that little first touch and he he moves with it. You know he's an expert at that, isn't he? And we we had a decent midfield performance on the day, but uh, we didn't really have that progressor in the centre. I felt in terms of deeper areas, uh, and obviously massive is is the ultimate ball carrier. Um, Canate can do bits of that. We've seen that over the past couple of couple of weeks, couple of months. Um, but he, for what I thought, Canate was a little bit off possession wise 
Um, yeah. And I think that contributed a little bit to Liverpool's build-up problems. No, I agree. I think he it was generally a little bit of a rusty performance from Ibu. Kind of the same as when he came back into the team last time against Brentford. So I can kind of allow that legs back under him. But in terms of progressing the ball through the field, you're right. I think this is the kind of game where you really do notice the difference of having Thiago. And obviously, of the three midfielders, it fell to Elliot to kind of provide that kind of spark. And he was able to do it in patches, but it wasn't a reliable thing. It wasn't so we could um, be able to start to play some pressure, keep the ball for long periods, put attack after attack after attack together. Which, ironically enough, our best actual method of getting the ball into attacking areas was when we were pressing and when we were winning the ball back high up the pitch. Noticeably, Elliot and Fabinho a couple of times in the second half, won balls from Wolves that turned into, well, one of them turned into the chance for Jota that Kilman made that really fantastic tackle. But there was a couple of times where we were winning the ball high up the pitch and we were turning it into chances. And essentially, if you go back to the beginning of the Klopp era, that was one of our other playmakers. So when we haven't got a consistent ball winner and ball progressor like Thiago, maybe we are going to have to start looking back to press as playmaker. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Yeah, it felt like Trent shouldered a lot of the workload when it comes to getting Liverpool out of their own half initially. There was a few moments where he, he kind Liverpool were playing the ball in a very predictable way around the back. Wolves were keeping us relatively penned in. And Trent would get us out by either beating his man or maybe dump, like a, a dummy in the ball or something like that. Um, and obviously we know he's a really progressive player on the ball as well when it comes to his passing. So I felt like Trent in the first half was the only player who could really move move us up the pitch and accelerate the game a little bit. Um, and in the second half, we maybe took a few more risks and it worked a little bit better. But you mentioned there about the, the attack, the press and things like that, the front three. Um, what did you think of the, the dynamic of Jota, Nunes and Salah as a trio? I think that's the first time we've seen that from the mm-hmm. off, I think. Um, it's still a work in progress. You can tell that, again, going back to what we were saying about Canate, when you are coming back from an injury, it does take, take you a while to get up to full. With Joshua Nunes in particular, they haven't played a whole lot together. So you, there were signs, certainly, that it was kind of a work in progress. But I think the impressive thing about Jota's performance is that he kept going when things weren't going his way. Uh, and there was a point in the second half where I thought he was going to come off and I probably would have been okay with him coming off. But then, if you look at the the moments that changed the match, the disallowed goal, he is very much the catalyst. He basically picks the ball up from the centre circle and just runs at the walls. <laughs> the yeah. Defenders. Until they... And, um, yeah, we can talk about how that 
should have been a goal because yes, he might have caught the, the Wolves player, but he was pushed into him quite clearly. But he didn't let that get into his head. He was able to react so quickly to Virgil's header, uh, the save from Virgil's header that produced the goal. So he got his rewards later on in the game for doing that. I think in terms of stopping the the Wolves, in, in terms of defending from the front, I think he did a very good job of that. I think he was no to Cody Gakpo. So that's possibly where he might well be able to stay in the team for the next game. Because obviously I think that's going to be quite an important role. Yeah, as a three, I would think the, as you say, these players are still a bit rusty and Jota and Canate. Um, further forward in the trio, at least, I, I think one concern I have is just the, I think the one, one of the main perks for me and I was offered over the years, we've touched on it lots of times on this podcast, is the fact that he just essentially makes the ball stick in, in, the, in the most difficult area of the pitch where there's pressure everywhere and tight spaces and things like that. For me, you know, is just the glue for me. Um, and I think Jota, Nunes and Salah are all just so direct and so kind of like goal obsessed that they're obviously very, very threatening. But sometimes this this sort of thing can happen where attacks don't stick and um, it's a bit basket, it's a bit like basketball end to end. Um, and you kind of, you can when the ball doesn't stick, it's difficult to, Pen teams in and really generate wave after wave of attack, and because instead the ball is like always in the middle third instead, or it's you may be building from the back a bit more often because the ball is not sticking up front. Um, mm. Even Sadio Mane, who very very direct and and very intense and things like that, but Mane was just so difficult for opponents to knock off the ball, and he just kept it so strong. Whereas. Yeah. I've picked up on that on a certain few occasions this season, specifically with Nunes. I think Nunes is great and he's going to be fine. I'm, you know, pretty confident with that. But when Nunes has got the ball on the wing, if he goes out as man, there's just a certain number of occasions where he's just been shoulder barged off the ball or he's just he's lost it really easily. And it just in them moments, I have thought back to Mane and just thought, it just never happened that. No. And and we did absolutely take that for granted. Yeah, and, we did. We did. <laughs> but again, I think when you're Nunes, particularly when you look and like Nunes, that's something that you can get better at. You, I mean, he's got the determination. He's got the strength. So it's just a case of concentration and making sure that in those moments that he stays strong without giving away a foul. Because that's another thing he does a lot in those scenarios where maybe we have lost the ball again. If he commits a foul, then he lets them off the hook. And that happens quite a lot as well. I think it's that mixture of strength, determination, but also intelligence. I think from the perspective of Jota, it's something that he has got better at, but he, you're right, it's still levels above. And when it comes to creating pressure, keeping hold of the ball is so vital. The one difference, though, is that, again, the structure behind him becomes more important. If you've got three lightning up front, can be quick on the break, high risk moves, high reward moves, but can lose the ball quite often, then it becomes even more important that when you do lose the ball, you have structure behind you. And I'm looking at, even just compared from Wolves to Crystal Palace, if you look at the average positions, it's clear as day, the difference. Because 
you look at the average position for Liverpool, particularly in the midfield against Crystal Palace, and you've got Milner and Henderson literally on top of each other right there. And that does not necessarily um, suggest a really good passing pattern. It doesn't really suggest good structure either because there's gaps all over the place. Then you look at the average positions for the Wolves game and it's pretty much a direct Alexander on one side to Simicast on the other side with everyone with good spacing, no gaps between, potential to progress the ball, but also stop counterattacks. And I think this is probably why we were so obsessed with this point for so much of the season, because it really does allow everything else to happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a concern. The, the whole attacking thing with, with when it comes to keeping the ball, making the ball stick, it's just like an overall concern for in terms of life after Firmino, basically. Um, obviously, we don't know if he's going to stay beyond this season, but even if he does stay beyond this season, he's, he's still like 31 now. We're going to need a successor. It looks like this successor is probably going to be Gapo, based on how he's been used since he's got here. And I thought when he came on, actually, I think for Liverpool's second goal, he plays a he plays a one-touch pass around the corner, out wide, and I think it ends up resulting in the goal happening one or two passes later. Um, I thought that instance was very, very Firmino, and he's he's obviously getting there. I think he's 23, 24, so he has got time to start adopting those ways. But when we first signed him, one of the things we touched on and looking at the numbers attached to his game is that he just he does lose the ball a lot. He was at PSV, he was the risk taker, the talisman, so he posted a really low pass completion to the extent where like. 35%, there was a 35% chance that one of his passes would find an opponent rather than yeah. a teammate, which is really high. So um, if he's going to be the player to make the ball stick at Liverpool now, after Firmino, um, that's going to conflict with how he was used at PSV by the looks of it. But that little moment there where he, he drifted out wide and he linked the play with a little pass around the corner with his first touch, that is vintage Firmino, just connecting yeah. the play like that, um, offering the glue in the final third. No, 100%. And the thing about that that reminded me of Firmino is that it's the ability to know when to slow the play down, when to hold the ball, look for opponents, allow us to get up the pitch, and when there's an opportunity to play quickly. And that was the opportunity to play quickly. It was it um, quick, so it didn't allow the defender to have time to get in position, but it was ahead of Simicas, allowed him to run on it, and allowed him to flee off into the space that produced the goal. I think you're right in terms of he, what he needs to improve on compared to what he was doing at PSV. But I think I said when we discussed it last time regarding those pass completion numbers, a lot of it is the difference between at PSV, he was the guy receiving the final pass. So he's not the volume of his passes was so getting a lot of practice. Now he's certainly going to get a lot of practice in this Liverpool team. So it's just going to be a case of how quickly he can get up to speed. But he's young, and the more he can contribute to the team while he's learning that, I think the quicker we'll see him pick it up. Yeah, I mean overall, lots lots to work on, lots for Liverpool to to build upon. If you look at Liverpool's performance on the day against Wolves, obviously it was a two 0 win, and. By the end of the game, Liverpool posted a pretty top, pretty healthy expected goals as well. Liverpool posted 2.5 and Wolves posted 0.8. And as we said, all of that 0.8 was in the first 15 minutes. Um, so that, that, that it was more like the kind of... Those are the kind of 
sustainable numbers that Liverpool have posted over the past five years or so during their period of dominance. Because the, the story is really if you post numbers like that every week, um, probability is going to be on your side basically, and then you're, you're less likely to suffer from from bad luck, bad fortune, and things like that. Obviously, Van Dijk scored a goal from two yards out, which has had an impact on that. Um, but overall, it was a, a solid Liverpool performance. It was very much a run-of-the-mill 2-0 win uh, where we grew into the game for me. And obviously, there's a big one coming up, Mo, to take that into. Yeah, the, the, the biggest one, if you ask me, still. Uh, and it's a difficult one because for a long time, we haven't really been able to look forward to this game simply because of how we've played, but also how they've played. And... I'm very pleased to see us get a win under our belt and a string of clean sheets under our belt going into this because it's going to be the toughest, obviously, but in terms of league games, it's going to be the toughest one we've had in a while. And I hope they're ready. I do think that they're able to compete with Manchester United and to beat Manchester United as good as they have been, but they're going to have to be at the very top of their game, I think. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, it feels like written in the stars or something that whenever Liverpool have a good season, Man United can't. And whenever Manchester United have a good season, Liverpool can't. It's just weird how every time we meet, one or the other seems to be struggling. Um, at the moment, it's obviously it's obviously Liverpool in comparison to what we've seen in previous years. Um, I think Manchester United have improved this season. I think Ten Hag has delivered a lot of easy... Um, improvements in the squad by signing certain players and things like that. But I don't think United are as good as they look in the table. I don't think they're anywhere near title winning level. Um, I've seen them, <laughs> they're talking about this quadruple, which is insane in my opinion. And if it, Even if it happens, it's not a quadruple because the Champions League isn't not even in the Champions League. So it's like a fake quadruple really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, if you, if you look at their performance numbers attached to the season, they're definitely better than they were. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the 10 points better than Liverpool, which is the current case. And I don't think they are six points worse than Manchester City, which is currently the case. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, they can be three points worse than Manchester City, actually, if the if United win their game in hand. Um so I don't think I think they've benefited from a bit of fortune and I'll have a look into the numbers now in terms of like finishing and goalkeeping and things like that. But although they've delivered improvements and I think the lot I think the mentally is a strong side by looks of it. I think um Martinez at the back has impacted that. Casemiro's had a massive impact on that. Um so it's gonna be a grind, it's not gonna be an easy win at all, it's not gonna be an, an easy game. But I think what I'm getting at it first out, straight out the doors, is a. Uh, I don't think United are suddenly amazing or anything like that. I think they're just better than they were. They are. And I think, again, it goes down to complementary football. 
And you look at someone like Casemiro, and he is the archetypal player who makes everyone around him better. Because if you think about the pressure that he takes off the centre-backs behind him, the, the pressure that he takes off the, his fellow midfielders by being able to not only screen large areas of the pitch, but he also has the intelligence and the technical ability to do damage with the ball once he's got it. And again, it just makes everyone else's job. If you've got someone operating at such a high level, a pivotal position, then it instantly makes everyone else's job easier. And then that aids confidence and it allows you to progress. So even at times when <clears throat> one or two of them are having a bit of an off game, they're not getting beat because they've got that protection there. And then at the other end, they've got a striker who's in hot form. So you can go from a game where you're not necessarily playing that well, but you didn't get beat. And then you can go up the other end and take one of very few chances and win the game. Because noticeably Manchester United, in terms of how they play at the moment under Ten Hag, they're not dominating the ball. They are very happy, so-called lesser opponents, to have more of the ball than them. What they are doing is making sure they maximise the time they do have it. So again, a lot of that's down to Casemiro and picking the, making the right decision. But also it's about having players from wide be able to get in behind, make the defence turn and run. Because when the defenders are running towards their own goal, it's a lot harder to kind of be in position. It's a, it just becomes a lot more manic. And then you've got the players with the quality who can get into those positions and score the game. It starts from pretty much those two players in Rashford and Casemiro, but it helps everybody else. And I think from a certain perspective, the, Liverpool can take a lot from Manchester United this season because, <clears throat> like you say, I think they're higher in the table than they necessarily are as a team. But if you look at where, how they were last season and how we are this season, I think it's about the same. Mm. So there's no, no thing to say that we can't buy one or maybe two very good elite midfielders at the team. Everyone looks better. Yeah, I think it's a great point. People always, when you encounter periods like this where you're just really bad all of a sudden, I think that the average pundit ends up coming up with like, Liverpool need 500 million worth of investment and they need a whole new squad and things like that. And it's it's never the case, never the case. You just need one or two. You just need to address your main issues. And we have to remember when Manchester United started the season, they started the season horribly, just like we did, really. I think the first game of the season, they played Brighton at home and they got beat 2-1. Then they went to Brentford and they got beat 4-0. Really, really bad start. And that was when they kind of essentially looked in the mirror, realised what they were doing. Because initially their plan was to do what Liverpool were doing in that they seemed to be refraining from signing a defensive midfielder again, like for another window. And it wasn't until they realised the oversight, panicked and overpaid for Casemiro, who has made a massive difference to them. But is... Let's have a look. I think he's 30. 31, 31. I think. Yeah, 31. So the issue with what they've done there is they've massively tackled an issue by getting arguably the best in the business in at what he does. But just when Ten Hag gets to a point where he starts to really transform United and get them to a point where they've moved past the work in progress phase and they get to the phase where they're expected to start winning and delivering titles and stuff. 
that's when Casemiro is going to decline. So that's the kind of downside to what they've done there, and that that will come back and get them. But in terms of the the immediate impact that Casemiro has made, it just goes to show a how much of a difference a real fire extinguisher can can have on your team as in, in the heart of the midfield, and b how quickly things can change when you address your main issue. You know, think of Liverpool a few years back when they addressed their main issue with yeah. getting in Alisson Becker. Um, main issue with Virgil van Dijk. Potentially this summer you're addressing your main issue by getting in a player like Jude Bellingham. Things can transform very, very quickly if you get it right in the market. And United have got it right in the sense that it's definitely the right player and it's the right kind of player that they've needed for years. Mm. But they haven't got it right in the sense that when they peak, Casemiro will probably be over the hill by then, I think. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. No, I agree. I think they're going to need another plan. That's for sure. Uh, I... I wonder how long, I think, if you look at the way Real Madrid have been able to elongate the the careers of their midfielders, a lot of the time, again, it goes around to having the right people around him. So I think that's something that they are going to have to address. They're going to have to maybe buy another midfielder who maybe has the energy uh, to maybe compensate for what Casemiro does. And then that means he lasts a bit longer. Or maybe they're just thinking, if we get this guy in now, he puts us back into the Champions League regularly by someone of the quality to be able to replace him. But you're right in terms of how quickly it can change when you've had that glaring gap for so long. I, I even put Arsenal into that category with Thomas Partey because if you look at yeah. how long they were needing a defensive midfielder, I love pretty much since the last, well, the last five years of Wenger. So they finally fixed that and suddenly everything clicks into place. But the, the the problem with that is that if you are so reliant on that one player, when that one player isn't around, and I think United are still in that period now. I mean, if you look at the the game Casemiro, well, the last game they lost was against Arsenal. And Casemiro didn't play, <laughs> and and he got booked in the game before, and it was a moment when he got booked. Everybody knew, everybody on the pitch knew, shit, that's bad news <laughs> for Arsenal. And that kind of again speaks to the how important he is and how much how influential he is. So you need to be careful in terms of putting the transformer, but it allows everybody else, as I say, to start playing better, start feeling better. And then from there, it gives you as a manager a little bit of space to breathe, a little bit more credit with which to work. I still think from a Manchester United perspective, they are still gettable. I think it'll be very interesting to see who plays fullback for them, particularly right back. If they go with Dallow, who is very good offensively, but has mistakes in him and would be likely, or if they go for the lockdown uh, option in Wan-Bissaka. And there are a different, um, 
different kind of decisions like that all over the pitch for Ten Hag. Does he go with Sancho? Does he go with Anthony? Does he go with Sabitzer? Does he go with Fred? And in terms of though how he makes those decisions, will kind of give some clues as to how he expects the game to go. But we're at home. We are going to be making the play. I do expect Man United to be happy to let us have the ball and look to with pace and accuracy. Hopefully, we're better equipped to deal with those kind of attacks now than we were even three three weeks ago. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned Thomas Partey there, mate. Actually, I think that's that's quite an interesting example because uh, if you look at the season so far, this season Partey hasn't featured in five Premier League games for Arsenal. Um, first three, they conceded. They won two one, two one, and three one. So they conceded in all of those games. And the most recent two, they lost 3-1 against Manchester City and beat Aston Villa 4-2, but obviously conceded conceded twice in that game. So um, I think Arsenal's defensive strength has been good this season, but it hasn't been as good without party. Uh, Casemiro has made a massive dis- difference to Manchester United. And I think, I've, I said this before, previous week, but I think of every player that Klopp's had at his disposal this season, the player who he's kind of publicly um not criticised, but he just give a bit of a nudge towards on a number of occasions is, is Fabinho. I think if, if Fabinho had 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 a normal season, um maybe Liverpool would have been in a different position so far. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's just Fabinho to blame because it has been a collective drop and I think Liverpool do need to invest Regardless of whether Fabinho is in form or not, but it just it does go to show how important that defensive midfield hold the fort presence can be in in these top games. No, it is, and I think if you look back to how he kind of treats the players in that position, I'd put Milner in the same category. I'd even put Genie in the same category. Those are the ones who he is able to be harder on because. It's almost as if he knows into them. He knows how much he asks of them because more often than not, he knows that they can do it. So it's interesting, like you say, the fact that he has so often kind of given him that nudge. And part of it is because, well, when Fabinho makes a mistake, it's not small mistakes. They're big, glaring mistakes more often than not. So they're harder to ignore or pass off. But you're right. It is such an important thing. And I think part of the reason why he looked better, um, particularly last night against Wolves. It wasn't just the fact that he had two onside in midfield in Elliot and then Bajsetic, but it's the fact that him and Bajsetic were able to cover the spaces well, but they were able to stay connected while moving across the pitch. And I still allow Bajsetic to still dive forward out of, out of um, the line and try and press the ball at times. It was like the two of them at all times knew where the other one was. And I think if you're Fabinho, then that makes your life so much easier. I think the other thing that's noticeable on the ball from those two young guys, in terms of the ability to stay central and try to th- take the ball in those neat areas. I know it didn't always come off, particularly in the first half last night, but if you watch the difference between some of the older guys in midfield who will maybe try to pull out wider to try and get more space to be able to get the ball and then move it on, which again leaves more gaps in midfield rather than trying to do the the right thing for the team and you know 
take on chances and then progress the ball. So it's only a small thing, but I do think it's the kind of thing that helps Fabinho does what he does. Yeah, just one final little word on Fabinho, though. I've just been looking at the numbers attached to his career, actually, because obviously he's, he is only 29, but he's been playing a lot for a long time. Um, so I've just looked at his minutes going back to like when he was a teenager. And this is this is league only. But league only, Fabinho has played about a total of about 27,000 minutes in his career. Uh, age 29. For a bit of perspective on how much that is, Casemiro is two years older and he's played about 21,000 minutes over the course of his his career in you know in the same position, same nationality and almost roughly same levels of quality in many ways when they're both yeah. on the on, on the game. But um I think that's you know interesting considering like if you if you do look at a player's career for the most part, especially the lads in midfield, most players have a rough, you know, amount of minutes that they will be able to um demonstrate on the pitch before they get to a point where they're just essentially crippled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying well, Fabinho is, but you know, it's interesting that he's played so much. It really does make a difference. And it's even more stark when you compare it to Casemiro, because the thing about Real Madrid is that they're going to be going deep in competitions like Champions League year in, year out. So as an average, Real Madrid are probably going to be playing more games than at least eight and quite a few other teams as well. And then you look at Fabinho and you can say, oh, well, yes, we play more cup competitions in, in England. He wouldn't be playing that many of the games. He's normally the guy who gets rested for those cup games. So when you put those together, it does tell you how much he really has done um, to be still so far ahead considering all those things. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the game goes. Obviously, we've got a bit of a bit of Rashford up against Trent and Canate, which is an interesting one. I think Canate's inclusion is is very important there, considering how much suited how how much better suited he is to that compared to Matip or Gomez dealing with Rashford. I looked at Rashford's numbers during the week, and I think since the World Cup, he's made nineteen appearances in all competitions, scored seventeen times. So he's absolutely, you know, proper hot league kind of stuff. Uh, you've got Fabinho and Casemiro in the middle. Um, you've obviously got Liverpool's front three up against Manchester United's fullbacks and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how the game goes. But before we round up, uh, I did just want to touch on one interesting transfer link that I come across, and it was to do with Alexis McAllister. Mm. Uh, we we did mention him. I think it was around Christmas when we talked about potential midfielders for Liverpool. I can't remember if he was one of my main picks or one of my wild cards, but I am a big fan of him. I think he's a really good player. Uh, and I think the links are interesting. Whether they're to be believed or not, it remains to be seen, really. You know, this is just rumour mill stuff, isn't it? But uh, Alexis McAllister, what are your thoughts on him? Um, yeah, I'm like you. I think he's a great player. I think... It's interesting the fact that some of these links came from the fact that his dad was spotted in the crowd at the Real Madrid game. Yeah. Uh, and his dad's his agent. So I don't know how much of that is people putting two and two together and saying we're in. 
but he feels like the kind of player who we definitely should be in for, I think for sure. In terms of being able to affect the game defensively and offensively, I think he is very underrated. From his partnership with uh, Caicedo, that one's the defensive one and one's the attacking one, but it's not really like that. They both do both. And I think if you compare the two, I would probably say that, yes, Caicedo's younger. He's got potentially more years to play. I think McAllister would probably come in quicker and be able to adapt. I think he has that appreciation for pass. He has that technical ability to find space. At least to a team, you can actually really start to make leaps with if you can utilise that. I think Leandro Trossard is doing very similar with Arsenal right now. So I, I think it's a live link. The question is, what's the price? And that's always the question whenever you're buying anyone from Brighton. Yeah, well, he did sign a new a little contact extension before the World Cup, which was extremely good timing from uh, Brighton's part. But yeah, I really like him as a player. I think he's very, very clever, very intelligent in the way he behaves on the pitch, um, and that allows him to allows him to kind of overcome some of the maybe physical deficiencies that he's got in comparison to some of his peers. Like he's only about, I think he's under five nine, um, yeah. not particularly quick or anything like that either. He's just really, really clever in the way he plays the game, makes really good decisions all the time and can play as a centre mid, can play as a 10. And uh, I think that I, I said a couple of months ago, actually, I think the, the player that he reminds me of the most is, is Gundogan. He's, he's very Gundogan for me in terms of just being able to switch it up. Good decisions, really technical, good pass for the ball, can get forward and they hit a goal if you want, good at penalties um, and will do more for you on the defensive side of the game than you'd expect. So it's an interesting link, one to follow. Uh, but Mo, yeah, we'll round it up there. Just before we do, I would like to throw out there that if we have any, if we have had any audio slash Wi-Fi issues, we are aware of it. It just happens yes. every now and then. There's not much we can do about it. It's just... I, I hold I my hands up on that one, I have to <laughs> say. That I, thank you, Josh, for trying to take drop on that grenade but it's so anyone who wants to complain in the comments send them my way in fact send them to virgin media because they're the ones who are really at fault <laughs> yeah well during that apology you actually caught out a little bit which kind of <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we, we apologize for that that won't happen every week it just it's unpredictable isn't it? it just happens every now and then but nevertheless thanks for joining us mo thanks for sticking with it no worries mate pleasure as always yeah, and we'll see you next week. Hopefully, Liverpool pick up a much-needed win against Manchester United this weekend. If so, we have a top-four race to talk about as the, the end of the season approaches. So, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.